Hello and welcome to the Hill Country Business Podcast, where we connect business owners to create a stronger community. Each week, we share stories about real people doing real things in the Texas Hill Country. Thank you for joining us. Today is episode 22, and we're blessed to be speaking with David Hancock, who is one of the owners of Rootline Coffee. Unlike most coffee companies, they own their own coffee farm in Nicaragua, so they can guarantee each step of the farming process and provide for families along the way. Through God's gift, they are able to provide world-class coffee right here in the Hill Country. So sit back and relax, and let's learn more about coffee. David, we're super excited to have you in studio with us today. We really appreciate you being here and sharing your story, and we're really looking forward to hearing the background about Rootline and how you obtained the coffee farm and how it went from a food truck to brick and mortar. So let's start with a little bit of your background. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in a missionary family. I was born in Paraguay. And so we've been in Central and South America and Mexico pretty much all my life. And we are a pioneer missionary. So our primary goal is to go out where there's no gospel whatsoever. A lot of the people that we deal with is our subsistence farmers. So corn, beans. And then they grew a lot of coffee in the area that I primarily grew up in. But they're in like little bitty plots, so they don't really have access to the large industrial coffee and farming industry. Because they'll pick maybe three or four bushels of whatever crop they're doing, and then they'll sell it wholesale to a, to a co-op. But it's usually pennies. It's just not, it's just not lucrative for them, really. So... The idea was originally probably 2010 or so. When I was a kid, we we had this idea of like, okay, how can we help the believers and our pastors make an income so that they can preach the gospel? Because, you know, if they're farming all the time, it's hard to get in or have them be pastors if they don't have an income, they don't have the ability to support their families because, you know, they're a lot of times they're choosing between like, I got to tend my field and then I got to be a pastor, right? Right. So we were just trying to think through that. We thought of an idea of like a a co-op, like a kind of a Christian co-op, all of the, all of the believers kind of compile and we're able to export it to the United States where the majority of the the money is made in that, in that arena, right? So that was the original idea that we had had for kind of ministry and business kind of combined and the the ministry owning companies that were able to support the ministry. These are 2011 or 2012. We flew down to to Nicaragua for the first time to visit. And then I had heard that the Nicaraguan coffee had won the Cup of Excellence, which is the specialty coffee association top tier coffee of the world. Oh wow. Right. And I was like, wow, Nicaragua, I'd never known about that. And so we tried some really fantastic coffee there. And so my original, like I was the first one that kind of, you know, set out into the wind, like, oh, we should do the coffee farm here. Like, let's, let's, let's do, let's do coffee in Nicaragua because it has such great coffee. I had done some like cursory research into that. I was probably 15 years old, 16 years old at this time and realized it was incredibly difficult to purchase land in Nicaragua as Americans or, you know, especially as a a ministry. 
Yeah. Or in, is it like Mexico where you have the 99 year lease? Yeah. Thing? You, you can, you can own land. It's just it's very, very hard. They just don't want to sell it because. Yeah. It, it's it really, it's just because we're Americans and we're an American company because they don't want, they didn't, they didn't want that kind of interaction between Americans because they're, they're a primarily a, they're a communist country. So they're not, they're not receptive to Americans and they're not receptive to the gospel very much. Gotcha. You know, so we got established. We started doing indigenous work in Nicaragua probably about a year later in 2013. So we've actually now been in Nicaragua 10 years this year. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, that's long. I, mean, I actually just thought of that. Huh? That's <laughs> a long time. In 2017, though, this, this lady named Christy Morrow, and y'all, y'all have met her. Mm-hmm. She had had a dream about walking on a field and with these like bush trees she had never seen before, you know, and, and kind of a hill there and this stuff. And, and she was like, man, this is, this doesn't feel like a normal dream, all that kind of stuff. And my brother had just come back from Nicaragua. He was really excited. He was like, hey, I want to go look at this coffee farm. Like, dad, let us go look at it. Let's go look at it. And I was like, ah, yeah, maybe years late and down the road and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Christy overheard this because she was over at our house just kind of visiting. She was like, can I come to Nicaragua? I want to come. And so <laughs> my brother was like, yeah, sure. Show up. Let's go. And he had no expectations of anything. So go out, look at the farm. And she was like, I want to buy this farm for y'all. I want to. I want to give this, I want to give the money to, to, to get the, get this farm. And, you know, my dad is over here. Like, I know what it's like in these countries. This is a massive ministry liability. Cause like, if you do things wrong in business, especially in these countries, they will rake you over the coals. Your ministry's gone. Everything's done. Oh, wow. It's dangerous on a ministry level for us. Cause like we're there for the gospel. We're not there just to make money. And so it's gotta be God if it's going to happen. It's seeming like, okay, this is what the Lord wants for us to do. It was a buyer's market during that time period. And Christy was like, I don't think I can sell my houses for, for the amount of money that, you know, that, I'm, that I know we need to get the house for. So the Lord actually told her what to sell the houses for. And she listed them, and they were, I think they were sold in like two days, both of them. Wow. For that exact amount. For the exact amount. Like somebody rolled up and was like, I feel like I'm supposed to buy the house for this much. Oh my gosh. And then just, they, they sold and she wired us the money. Wow. So, That's um, so amazing. Isn't it? Yeah, an incredible story. I love that story. At this point, how involved were you with the coffee farm? I was not very involved at this point. I had had the original like seed idea of potentially doing it, but that's, you know, <laughs> You know, that's about as, uh, as good as farting in the wind, you know. Um, and so uh, <laughs> they started stumbling along and realizing that farming is pretty difficult, especially if you're going to do specialty coffee. And they're, they're, legitimately, there's no way that we would have this farm without the grace of God. Obviously, starting like this, you ran into some challenges. Can you talk about a few of those? Yeah, yeah. Um, so here, here's one. We didn't have enough money to to save our farm from a, a particular disease called rust. It's a it's a rust. Yeah, it, yeah. It's kind of a I don't know if it's exactly a fungus or or, or a parasite, but it, it attaches to the leaves of 
coffee plants and it burns through and it looks like rust. It looks like it's kind of a reddish color Mm. and it kills and decimates entire farms. And you have to spray everything with chemicals or else it's it's not going to, your entire farm is done for the next five years. Wow. So you have to replant everything and get everything back. So it was very, it's very dangerous. And so we, when we asked the Lord to protect our farm, we were like, hey, this is yours. What do we do? You know, we, we don't have the money to, <laughs> to save the farm. You know, this is in your hands. There was a farm next to us who had sprayed with chemicals. They, they did everything, but the, the rust still decimated the farm. No more than a person's width trail in between our, our farm. The disease touched our leaf and died. Like it just touched it and disappeared. <laughs> You'd see our farm. It was perfectly fine, and their farm, which is completely dead. We have a picture of it, and it's wow, completely decimated. And we didn't spray it at all. We didn't put any chemicals on it. We didn't do anything. We didn't. We just didn't have the money. That's one of those challenges that you know you're you're stumbling along, and you got to trust in God, and it, it it works out. He protected the farm. Yeah. Are there certain requirements to grow specialty coffee versus regular coffee? The farm designations here in the states are not on flat ground. There aren't fences between. There are not roads between them. More a lot of rolling times, hills, or yeah. Well, it's it's the side of a mountain essentially, oh, right? So okay. it's like, you know, we're growing at forty two hundred feet above sea level, and it's just it's just wow. this big big hill. And is that how coffee is supposed to be grown? Specialty coffee, yeah. You want it at a higher elevation. Really, it's, it's very particular. Uh, you can have low growing coffee, and the trees are very large, but the quality of coffee is a lot lower. In general, so like is the soil different higher is that why? Yeah, soil's different. Also, all fruit when grown at higher elevations sweeter, hmm. which is which is a fascinating, fascinating thing. And then we've had bumper crops almost every single year. What's a bumper crop? Yeah, so first year they were like, "You're gonna get fifteen thousand pounds of coffee," and we we're like, "Okay, okay, yeah, they're fifteen thousand pounds. We got like thirty six, a lot of coffee on yeah. top of it." And they were like, there's no reason that this farm should be producing this much coffee. Our expert farmers that we were able to hire and go up there and and start working on the farm and developing it for us, they're like, there's no reason this farm should be producing the kind of quality coffee that it's producing and the... Almost triple the amount. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just absurd. And it stayed pretty steady at that that yield up until uh, this this coming harvest. I'm going to be receiving 36,000 pounds in the next three weeks. Next harvest, 65 or 70,000 pounds. From the same? From the same farm. This is just fresh crop? Yeah, we've been planting trees consistently um, every single year. And so it just takes two or three years for them to start producing fruit. What's the lifespan of a coffee tree? If you prune them consistently, so you, you let them grow up and then you chop them and you let them rest and not not completely you don't just keep stripping all the fruit all the time. Yeah. It's somewhere between 7 to 10 years. If you if you properly tend to it, it can even extend longer than that. I wonder if the trees would last longer since they're not getting sprayed with a bunch of chemicals. It's possible. Yeah, cuz we we use all organic practices on our on our farm, so we we don't put we don't put chemicals on anything. Would you mind taking a couple of minutes and explaining your form of organic farming? We recycle the the red cherry husk and kind of help 
turn that into fertilizer. We use, it's a really high end organic fertilizer that we cycle into. We get it from Mexico um, yeah. and get it shipped in. And we use a natural kind of pesticide that goes onto the leaves. That's not, it's not chemical based. It's, it's natural chemicals from different, different kinds of plants. Again, it's the, the name pronounces <laughs> escapes yeah, it's me. It's not artificial yeah. uh, made in a lab. Yeah, it's not radon. It's, you know, it's. What's in that coffee bean? <laughs> yeah. Yummy. <laughs> My liver is hurting me though. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy like that, but we don't, we're not certified organic or anything like that either. It's so expensive to go through that whole process when you can just do it. To be certified organic that you got to jump through all these hoops that are not very organic. Right. Yeah, it's just not a very good system for for cleanliness and quality and making sure the process is as as high quality as possible. I don't know why it's built like that, but it, it is. Yeah, it's probably for money. Yeah, it's 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 just fascinating to me why. You mentioned hoops that weren't very organic. Can you explain that? You know, they have special special kind of approved chemicals and things that you're you have to put on them and they control the kinds of fence posts that you have. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that's in there and fence uh, posts. What yeah, that have to do with anything? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, Basically, you have to buy all this stuff from a uh, certified approved and certified supplier that's in the system and all that stuff, so I mean, Yeah. It's a racket. I mean, even like family farms here in the States, just as an example, family farms here in the States, you know, you can have a grass-fed farm with no chemicals or pesticides or anything on them, but they can't be certified organic one because it's like ten dollars to $15,000 for the application or something like that to get certified. And then you have to get checked every single month on whether or not you're following all those certifications. You have to track massively all of the products that are coming from that. Even though some of those regulations are good it's really made to you know if you can impose that on the masses or just make it unaffordable for the little guy uh-huh. then the behemoth businesses out there yeah. the big box ones they could do that for them it's a drop in the bucket right they yeah. just raise their product by another dollar and voila right but for a smaller operation that could be the difference of being in business or not being yeah. in business you know, that's not just in the States. That's pretty much everywhere. There's, there's farming and there's industry. Yeah. Especially in Nicaragua, we, we, quickly, we quickly found out how corrupt the system is overall. Child labor is in almost every specialty coffee farm. So if they claim specialty coffee, if they don't own the farm, there's no way they can guarantee that they don't have child labor on the farm. They can claim they do, but... Wow, really? It's really sad. Everywhere that we've gone in these countries, there's there's kids picking coffee with their mom and their dad. Just because of the way that the, the payment system works or collecting coffee, it's just, it's by the bushel. And so the faster you can pick and fill that, that bushel and walk it down there and dump it out, you get paid for that and you come back and you just, you fill them up, right? We have a different system of payment based off of quality of the actual cherries themselves. And we're like, we're not here to, to just buy bushel. Like we, you know, we're going to pay you for the time you come out here, we're going to pay you for the bushel. We have a, a, a specialized system. My brother is really the one that kind of worked that system out to make sure that all of our farmers are paid minimum 48% above the national minimum wage. And that's, that's our seasonal pickers. Our full-time staff are, are paid quite a bit higher than that. That's great. And when you're 
hearing about other coffee companies, right? I mean, mm. I'm not going to mention the names over here, but I think we all know the big box ones. <laughs> You'll always hear those phrases, of, you know, fair trade, sustainable, and all those catchphrases that they mm. have. And it's, if you really drill down into it, those are not really fair trade, quote unquote, and sustainable like they say they right. are. I mean, they're quite often far from it. I hesitate to necessarily pick on a company overall because if you're going to be in the coffee industry, it's, it's like I said previous, it's very difficult to own your own farm. Like it's, it's so far for us, it's a, it's a God miracle that we even have it. I think a lot of those tags are attempts at fixing the issue, but because it's so gatekeeped by a lot of the in-country hardcore companies, a borderline criminal. Yeah. They'll pay off the right people and make sure it's all, you know, part of the, you know, the quote unquote co-op. Yeah, essentially. And so is why a lot of people actually don't like us very much because we're kind of disrupting the industry. You're not trying to put the other guys out of business. You're just doing it right. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not trying to, we're not trying to kill anybody or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, or destroy their companies or anything like that. I think there's a lot of coffee companies that stand for really great things and yeah, all power to them. That's great. We just have the opportunity to understand how the system works and do our best to do it right. Just an example of the kind of issues that we're dealing with is we tried to pay our farmers more than 48% above the national minimum wage there, but we were told by our like in-country make-it-happen man, it was like, listen, you're endangering these, pe- these farmers' lives if you go higher. If you go higher, then, you're going, then other farmers will start to kill the farmers that are that are consistently working they, with us. They can't or won't live up to that kind of standard. Yeah, exactly. So they'll either try to destroy our farm, they will kill the farmers, they'll you know burn their houses. It's it's really dangerous. Oh wow. We're slowly ratcheting up the the standards as much as we can just to the point where it's like, all right, we're <laughs> yeah. we are creating a new standard because our next goal in Nicaragua is to create our own green processing which is these massive machines, dry mills, and purchasing coffee from all the local farms around and doing the drying and milling and all of that. So creating our own... Will be happier with you guys once that happens because you're buying their beans? The farms and the farmers are, are generally fine. It's the dry processing mills. They're the gatekeepers to the rest of the, rest of the world. They're the exporters. They're the dryers. They're the millers. They're the people that, that control the coffee in every country. Is there usually only one or two within a country that does everybody's? There's several, but it's kind of like everywhere. If everybody kind of goes under the table and agrees to do coffee this certain way or to produce it and dry it in this certain way and to buy it in this certain price, everybody's going to follow it. Just an example of that is after it's been the, the first drying process on the farm, it's bagged and then brought to this thing called a beneficio. They dry there, and they claim that 14% of the weight is lost during that drying period. Only 7% is lost during that drying period. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So, so they're stealing 7% on top of all the farms. So that's part of the reason that nobody can pay their workers fairly is because the gatekeepers are stealing 7% wow. of all the coffee. That's basically free coffee for them to sell at 100% yeah. profit. Yeah, 100%. Do they do that even with you guys? Because you have to use them to dry? Yes. Yeah. So they're also stealing. Yeah, yeah they, steal, they steal from us too. At least they have for the last couple of harvests. This, this one we're about to be getting. Uh, we dried our own coffee. 
And we were able to get our own warehouse and spread it out and dry it ourselves. And then we bagged it up and brought it to the triller where they just kind of pull the kind of papery shell off the bean. And if you know anything about how coffee looks and yeah, during its process, it's just kind of, there's a papery shell on the outside that you just kind of rip off through a machine and we bag it up in our stuff. Got it. Bring it back. Yeah. Is that why you have so much more that's coming because you're drying your own and it's not being stolen by? Yeah. Or is it because of more trees or both? You know, it just was it just a solid harvest. And I, I don't know how much, uh, I don't know how much they're, they actually steal from us or not, but <laughs> I try to avoid okay. it at all costs. Yeah. We really do want to build our own dry processing mill that we can buy at the actual dry rate and not steal from them. So that gives them 7% higher yield on their farms, essentially. That's an entirely different industry that Rootline wants to get into and and all that. So that one's one's going to be fun in the future. But you're not just a coffee company. No. There's so much more to that because you sell a coffee, Mm -hmm. right? And you're using those proceeds for ministry purposes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said in the, in the beginning of the story, is like our whole goal was to have a company that produces profit to support the gospel. And my family's mentality has always been, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. So do everything to the best of your ability. I don't like when Christians build businesses or entertainment or anything like that. It's, it's either really cheesy or really bad or just it does, it's not. Right. It's not to top tier. We're doing everything we can to build a brand and to build a company that is that rivals the big boys, that you know we can kind of challenge that coffee establishment everywhere. You could really tell the quality. I mean, first off, when you walk into your, your coffee shop, it's beautiful. Thank you. It's a completely different story, a different game than any uh, typical coffee shop you walk into. Hey, you know, it feels like home over here. And you have a completely different way of making coffee. You actually yeah. have those manual machines over oh, there. Yeah. And I mean, your barista is actually breaking a sweat and making <laughs> a cup of coffee. And you're like, oh, okay, great. You know, yeah, yeah. We're um, supposed to just, hey, you know, ding, magic. Here's your cup of coffee. The process that we use is the only process I actually know. I learned from a man named Jeremy Doss. And this kind of circles back to the story of like kind of how we get started is. I'd been kind of moving around with uh, different businesses prior to getting involved with now Rootline, then EDG Coffee. And so I was sent to apprentice with Jeremy Dawson, learn how to roast coffee at the Artistic Bean in Townsend, Tennessee. He's a really great friend of ours, and he has some of the highest quality coffee, I think, in the United States. It's just, it's fantastic. He is a, an artist, and he taught me how to roast coffee the principles of roasting coffee. And so his is very different than the industry standard for roasting coffee. So I call the, the method we use the DOS method. I'm going to honor him in that because he spent, you know, years trying to hone in on the exact thing that makes coffee consistent and high quality. What is that method? We primarily focus on the internal temperature of the beans instead of time after first crack. In my opinion, most coffee roasters guess when the beans are done. And there are some coffee roasters that have an incredible skill with their senses to be able to know by smell, by sound, by feel when the beans are finished. It's like when you're cooking steak, right? I yeah. mean, you can 
kind of go by feel, yeah. which a, a lot of people get it right, or you can actually put a thermometer and exactly. And now, okay, this is a hundred and right fifty five degrees or whatever. Exactly, and I'm able to roast coffee like that. I can go and do it by smell and taste and the sound and the you know just the feeling of how the roast is happening, right? And it's fun. I enjoy it. It's nothing better than the smell of uh, coffee getting roasted. Yeah. I wish there was one next door. Where did you get the idea for the way that you do coffee? The idea for the way that we do coffee is we want the experience of specialty to feel different. What I learned in my process and my apprenticeship is everything matters with coffee. The temperature of the bean, the quality of the green coffee you're roasting, the grind level, the the temperature of the water makes it makes the coffee taste different, the the content of the water, so like the kind of minerals you have in the water. If it's RO water, then it, it doesn't taste right. If it's too hard, it doesn't taste right. You got to have this perfect level of pH for it to be a perfect cup of coffee. There's so much involved in making yeah. high quality specialty coffee. I thought having a reverse osmosis type of water would make it fantastic. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's flat. It's very flat. If you have a reverse osmosis system here in Texas, which is necessary, you have to re- mineralize it with the right minerals and you have to put an ionizer on there to make sure that the ionization of the water is correct you know the water here in texas is just so hard it can just destroy your machines i love the lever pulls that you have at the store where did that idea come from the reason i use the lever pulls is one they're beautiful they are they're just they're gorgeous machines you're a lot more involved in the shot and it's purely mechanical so it's it's just a ton of water pressure and then loaded springs the water reservoir fills with water pre-infuses the coffee in the portafilter and then you release that lever and it compresses that water through the the coffee in the portafilter creating the espresso that builds a i think just some of the highest quality coffee you can get it's is a lot more towards the original espresso machine that was invented in italy Manual stick shift. Yeah, right. very, yeah, very much so. <laughs> it just makes incredible coffee. And not to say that there aren't semi-automatic machines that can make great coffee. If you're going to do specialty coffee and you want people to have an experience, you should just kind of yeah. do it all the way down the line. I prefer bolt action as opposed to semi-automatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the lever pulls that you have then, they are heating up the water to the exact temperature for what you're doing or... Yeah, yeah. So they're 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 heated to the right temperature. So I know the farm in Nicaragua. You guys have it set up. Obviously, you're paying the employees really well. Mm-hmm. But your farm also is run different, kind of as a family, and your family is taking really good care of the employees. Can you talk about the different things that you have set up to protect the families? Yeah, and of course. Allow them to work and be paid proper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Child labor is a major problem with the specialty coffee industry, and it is it is illegal for child labor to happen on farms, but everybody does it. What we've done is we built a daycare and a school on the property of the farm so that the moms and the families can come, bring their children, and they learn how to brush their teeth, they learn how to wash their hands, they learn how to do all kinds of life skills, that, you know, learn how to pray, all of those things, right? That allows mom and dad to drop their kids off at the little daycare, go out, pick all the, the coffee and everything, and then come back. We also provide sleeping quarters for for the full-time farmers and, and for the people that got to travel. And then we do three meals a day, 
with a higher than than government required level of protein. They only require protein like chicken or or pork or something like that once a week if you're going to be providing right. food. Yeah, I know it's 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 kind of it's insane. I, when I heard that, I was like, "That's the regulation." I thought you were going to tell me once a day. Yeah, they were like, "This is the industry standard," and I was like, "Man, that's that's pretty sad." We far exceed that, so we do a protein once a day. So there's this thing called gallo pinto that everybody eats in Nicaragua, and it's uh it's just beans and rice mixed together. I love that. Yeah, it is delicious. <laughs> I I do I do love it. It is delicious. That's a complete protein with beans and rice. Yeah, we we feed really really well on the farm, and uh, we have full time cook that that's all she does is cook for the farmers, and they just walk in, file in with their plates, just get their food, go back out. I love that. Everybody wants to work on our farm. Yeah, that's one. That's that's part of what we do. We also have clean water and clean drinking water, and we recycle the the water that we use for processing the coffee. So we just don't dump it into the river. We process it, cycle it, and then we have a, a volcanic rock filtration system that makes the water clean again, and we can go through the whole process. Oh, wow. So you went through a course and learned all about coffee training. Can you talk about what the coffee bean looks like when you pick it? And mm-hmm. you were talking about that outer shell. Yeah. Maybe be able to visualize what it looks like along the process to turn it into an actual coffee bean before I grind it in my grinder. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> it's actually quite involved. Coffee comes in a two little seed pod. So your little coffee beans that you have in your home, both you have two of those together. Oh inside of a little cherry and then whenever it's ripe it's bright red and it gets darker as it gets riper and it's actually very sweet so when you pop it in your mouth you pull that that red cherry off the outside it's a very sweet highly caffeinated <laughs> seed can you eat that red skin or no oh yeah or is it no bitter? probably not i mean it's not bitter it's just so when it's red, you can pick it, and then you peel the skin off, and you can actually eat the bean mm-hmm. inside, yeah. the two little beans. Yeah. Well, you just kind of chew on it, and then once the, the sweetness is gone, you, you spit it out. So it loses some caffeine through the roasting process? Yeah. One of the common misconceptions is, is that dark roast has a higher level of caffeine in reality. Light, the lighter the roast, the higher the caffeine content. Is it also higher in oh. antioxidants? Probably. Okay. Uh, I don't actually know that. It's a great question. <laughs> I do know that, that like coffee is really high in antioxidants overall. Coffee it's good for you. Yeah, coffee can actually can be very good for you. Obviously, if you drink way too much of it, then the, the effects of you know it, it being a diuretic as well as a highly caffeinated, yeah. <laughs> it can be bad for you. So don't don't drink too much out there. All in moderation. Yeah. Okay, so back to the bean. Once yeah. it's red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they pick it whole. The red cherries. They pick that all whole put it inside of a basket, walk it over to the to the mill, and they dump that into what we call a wet mill. And it has these little rubber teeth on it that strip the the red cherry off of it and spit it out. And it's uh it's kinda wet and slimy. And they go down this chute into a big vat and then it is sorted through another machine that kind of vibrates back and forth by size. It throws out the husks that didn't get caught by the by the milling machine. If you're doing washed coffee, then uh, which is the majority of coffee, you set it, you set it inside of this big concrete vat and for 72 hours it ferments. And then you fill it with water and it separates between some bad coffee will float to the top and clean that off. And that's washed coffee. And 
all that gelatin and the the sugar content on the outside just kind of gets melted away. Put it into another drying area and you <laughs> you dry it some more and pull the the coffee out of these vats and put them in a it's kind of like a it's not quite chicken wire, but it's like the little tiny squares, if you know what I'm talking about, like the yeah. fencing. So they build these racks out of that stuff. Wood, probably, uh, I'd say two by sixes. And they have the fence at the bottom of that two by six in a box pattern. They fill the whole thing up with coffee. They go through and they sort and they pull out bad bad beans and they, they dry those. So that's the first drying part of the bean. Then it gets bagged up put on a truck and driven to the drying floor. So they spread it all out on these massive tarps and they dry all of the beans. And there's this thing, they call it papel or the the paper, which is another husk on the outside that goes through a milling process after everything is dried. Does it seem unclean to have all the beans on a tarp? During the roasting process, it goes up to like 300 and something degrees. Yeah. So So it's... It's all going to be burned away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no matter, no matter, no matter what the process is prior to getting into it, it's all going to get burned away, except mold. Mold does not get burned away. Yeah. That actually gets in the coffee. Yeah. Be careful of what you, where you get your coffee because almost 80% of all coffee sold in the United States has mold in it. Not all coffee is equal, huh? So I learned from Christy a little trick to know whether or not your coffee is fresh. And that is the bloom, seeing a bloom on a pour over. But that generally doesn't happen with store-bought coffee. Yeah, the bloom kind of determines how fresh the coffee is. So like if it, you just pour it on and it just falls, it's stale. So it's probably all the coffee we buy at the stores is stale because I've never seen it bloom up like that before. Potentially, yeah. So like I had never seen it like that before either until we started roasting coffee. Yeah, you're like, wait a minute, I've been drinking still coffee for... yeah. 20 years. <laughs> and that, you know, that's, that's part of the benefit of buying our coffee. Everything you're buying is, has been roasted within a week. Most everything you buy at the store is anywhere from three to five months old. Even though the beans are grown in Nicaragua, I think it's important to let listeners know they're all roasted and dripping. Yes. Yeah. So we have a coffee roastery that's, that's in Dripping Springs. That was the original coffee roastery that Roasts all the coffee for the coffee shop, roasts all of the local farmer's market, and then the Texas market. We, just because of some health issues that my wife was dealing with, particularly because of the Texas allergens, we have another larger coffee roastery in Rapid City, South Dakota, and that's where the majority of our green coffee goes to, and that's where we'll be doing a lot of our online subscriptions and also Coming up in the in the coming months, we'll be doing K cups as well. I'm really excited about because like all the other like single serve is just terrible. Well, I have to say, I think people that may not like coffee probably have never had really good coffee before. Most of most of the people who hate coffee, I've discovered, are just secret coffee snobs. (laughs) (laughs) They just don't like bad coffee. Yeah, and I don't blame them. I heard that good coffee is coffee you can drink black yeah. without any sugar. It's, it's supposed to be that way. Yeah. And, I mean, if you get a bag that it tastes burnt or it tastes bitter, it's either one of two things. Either your water's too hot, so it's burning the coffee on contact, or we, we roasted it incorrectly. We have a satisfaction guarantee for our coffee because it's not supposed to taste that way. If it's burnt, we'll send you another bag because, like, it's not supposed to be burnt. 
So knowing that you guys have high quality espresso and making your drinks, is the ratio still the same in, in terms of the number of shots you put in beverages? So we, we tend to put about 50% more coffee in our drinks than other coffee companies. Because we actually believe that our coffee tastes good. We're not trying to cover it up with anything. It's a, all the rest of the stuff is a, as an add-on, something to, to enhance the flavor. Because you know, we want chocolate, caramel, vanilla flavors in our actual coffee itself. And so when we put chocolate, caramel, vanilla, and those things, it's supposed to enhance that portion of... Yeah, you're not supposed to have a caramel drink. It's supposed to be yeah. coffee with caramel. Exactly. Not the other way Exactly, around. 100%. So that's one of the things that like at our actual coffee shop is different is we put a lot of coffee in there. And so it, it kind of throws people off a little bit because they're used to on a 20-ounce drink only getting three shots of espresso in there. In our flat whites, we have five shots of espresso in a 20-ounce drink. And in our lattes, we have four shots of espresso. Which is, is a lot. Yeah. People are like, oh man, I don't want that much coffee. I'm like, just get a smaller drink. Sure. It'll taste the same. Because our ratios are consistent all the way from the bottom all the way to the top. So that all of our drinks the, taste the same from an 8-ounce cup all the way through to a 20-ounce cup. From just getting to know you, I know that for customers coming in to drink coffee, it's not just drinking coffee, it's also having that experience. Can you share that vision with us? Yeah. my ultimate dream goal is you walking in and seeing those machines down that line and you can watch us make the coffee and build the experience and the the comfort of the actual shop and the ambience and kind of the spirit of the building where you can really just have peace there and enjoy good coffee enjoy good conversation that environment is what I wanted to create and so so far it looks like it's it's working David, can you share with us your website if people want to order online or join a coffee club? Yeah, rootlinecoffee.com. If you have it on subscription, it'll just show up to your door. It's all going to be within three or four days of being roasted. It's super fresh. And the holidays are coming up. So on this Build Your Box, are you going to be doing anything that's kind of gifty-like? Yeah, so we have the Christmas blend and we also have seasonal blend that is not on here yet. The Christmas blend is something that comes around every year for that holiday season. It's very limited. <laughs> we sell a lot of Christmas blend during that time period. And then we have seasonal that is going to be every season of the year. You'll have two different options during Christmas time. And then you'll have a spring blend and you'll have a summer blend and then you'll have a fall blend and you'll have a winter blend. You know, Is it because the coffee tastes different? When it's harvested during winter, spring, summer, fall? Or, no, no. So or what's the... because we have so many different roasts here um, and different varieties, they all have different flavor profiles. What I can do is I can mix these together at different ounce ratios and create different flavors. Oh. And so none of these are flavored with any kind of syrups or anything, but I can accentuate certain flavor profiles in them. So like our natural is very fruity. Very sweet. So if I add a little bit of that to something like the medium dark, I can get chocolate covered blueberries mm. as a as really? a hint note. Yeah. Wow, that sounds delicious. Well, we love your coffee and we love what you're doing, and we encourage all of our listeners to go out and get a cup of coffee at Rootline. Awesome. Thanks, guys. 
We love the fact that you're here with us today and sharing your story and your coffee shop is absolutely beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts, subscribe and review. You can also visit our website at hillcountrypodcastatx.com. Thank you.